As we've been working our way through uh, Philippians, that might still be on. As we've been working our way through Philippians, one of the things that Paul's been challenging us with is this idea that if we'll change the way we think, God will change the way we feel. If we're willing to say, look, I'm, maybe, maybe the way I'm thinking about my circumstances is not the way I ought to be thinking about them. And so Paul is challenging us over and over again to change the way we think and watch how God changes the way we feel so that we can experience joy. Because joy is not something you churn up inside yourself. Joy is found in Christ Jesus. He's the source. And if we, if we don't have, if we're not connected to that source, then we're going to struggle. And here Paul is exhorting us. He's exhorting us to change the way we think about ourselves. To walk in humility, which is not natural. As soon as we say, I'm humble, we probably aren't anymore, right? So we, we want to think about or, or change the way we think about humility because through humility we will experience unity. We'll be unified together if we stop thinking about ourselves so much. Stop putting ourselves central. Paul's telling us that, that the reason that he is able to experience joy, even in prison, even through the things he struggled, is because his greatest treasure was not his freedom. His greatest treasure was not his health. His greatest treasure was not his wealth. His greatest treasure was Jesus Christ. And they could not take that away. No matter what other things came, it could not take that away. He could still walk in joy because his joy was in Christ. And here in the text we're going to look at this morning, the challenge to, to walk in humility is going to call us to do something positive. I always like that. Tell me what to do um, because that's helpful. How, what, how do I, how do I, how do I uh, uh, show humility? By exalting Christ. By exalting Christ. Don't, don't walk around and <clears throat> think, oh, i got to think of myself less. i got to think of myself less. i got to think of myself less. You just thought of yourself three times. <laughs> don't think like that. Think positively. How? I need to exalt Christ. I need to exalt Christ. I need to exalt Christ. Right? Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will do what? I'll draw all men unto myself. Right? He does the work. What's our job? Lift him up. And if I'm lifting him up, I'm not lifting me up. Right? If I'm lifting him up, I I, I have the, the right mindset. I'm thinking the right kind of thoughts. I'm thinking the way I, I need to think. And so sometimes when we go through life, we, we struggle with things health-wise, right? When I was 21, I think I was 21 years old, serving in the Marine Corps, uh, I was involved in an explosion equal to six pounds of C4. I was standing right next to it when it went off. As a result, I obliterated a disc in my lower back. My L4, L5 turned into pebbles. And I uh, was in the hospital for about six months while they tried to figure out what they're going to do, how they're going to deal with it. Then they lost me, because the Marine Corps can do that sometimes. 
They, what they do, see, they don't have doctors in the Marine Corps. No. No, no, that'd be a waste of a guy to carry a rifle. So they use Navy guys. So if you get hurt, they send you to the Navy, and then they forget where you are. So after, <clears throat> after leaving me in a Navy hospital for six months, they, they figured it out. Oh, yeah, where is that guy? What do we do with him? Oh, here he is. So they sent me to an Army hospital from a Navy hospital. Forgot about me for a few more weeks. And then they had a guy come in and do surgery. So I had my first back surgery when I was 21. I recovered from that one a lot quicker. But when they did that one, technology wasn't quite what it is now. Uh, there were still several um, fragments of disc material floating around in my spine. So they cleaned it up. They did what they needed to do, got me back on my feet. I finished out my tour, right? I, I did all that. When I was 40, I used to occasionally have this thing where I would say I'm turning into an S. So one of my hips would go out to one side, and my, I'd get all crooked, and I couldn't walk, and I was having a lot of pain in my back. So I went back into the dock, <clears throat> and this time doc had another surgery. I had my second back surgery in my 40s. That took substantially longer to recover from than the one in my 20s. You can figure out why all on your own, right? So they go in, and this time Doc spent nine hours pulling out bone fragments. And as he's pulling out bone fragments, disc fragments throughout my back, after nine hours he came to Kathy and said, I think I got them all. So it's a, kind of a pain when there's you know something about a centimeter big floating around in your spinal area. It's a drag. So he, he said, I got them all, so I'm good to go. So Kathy and I go to Belize, and we're in the jungle. And I crawl up in this foam mattress on iron springs straight from the gates of hell. It's a torture device. <laughs> and we're sleeping on this thing, and it's 2 million degrees, and there's an air conditioner doing the best it can to try to to, to make it at least breathable in the room so you can sleep. And I have, nowadays, I have this thing where a rib pops out every once in a while. So the rib pops out, which is extremely painful. I don't know why, it just hurts. And so that happened about day two. And then about day three or four, um, I turned into an S again. Well, I haven't done that for a long time. And so I, I was dealing with all of this back pain. And I remember asking God, hey, you know, there's lots of other times we can do this. <laughs> we can do this almost anywhere else. Why here? Why now? And as I was thinking about the, the text that we're going to be looking at, I'm thinking about the call of having a mind like, like Christ's mind, a mind that's focused on him. A mind that exalts him above our own pain. A mind that exalts him above our own whatever. That recognizes that throughout the biblical story, throughout the biblical narratives, right? We see multiple times where God allows things to happen in people's lives. And sometimes it's for them, but sometimes for somebody else who's watching, right? <clears throat> sometimes it's not about me at all. Sometimes about somebody else and i'm just a part of what's necessary to exalt christ 
for them. And so the reminder comes to me to say, well, it's, it's, not, a, it's not about pain or no pain or a, an existence where there's not ever going to be sorrow or heartache or hardship. But what it is about is saying, I'm going to exalt Christ in it all. I'm going to lift Him up. I'm going to lift Him up because that enables me to be humble even in my pain. That enables me to be humble even in my suffering, right? Even in whatever we're going through, we can exalt Him. I've had people pray. In fact, while we were out there, you know, my my friends, uh, you know, they live in the jungle, so you got to pray. There's no doctors. There's nobody to go to. It was it was cool because Levi sent me a list of chiropractors in Belize. He says he says here's a bunch of chiropractors in Belize you can go see. I'm like, bro, I'm in the jungle. Belize City's five hours where I landed. That's a long way. That's a long walk to get to a chiropractor. Thanks, though. And so we dumped oil on me and we prayed and and prayed and prayed and it hurt the whole time. Still hurts today. Maybe it'll hurt tomorrow. But that doesn't that doesn't mean that Jesus Christ should not be exalted in that. If my pain circumvents His glory, if my pain uh, causes me to lose focus on Christ, then in God's mercy, He is showing me I have a problem in my heart where I still want to exalt me over Him. Now, maybe that's hard to hear, but it doesn't stop it from being true, does it? When, When I get my eyes on me, and when I start getting distracted by the pain, and it happens, right? I'm, nobody's superhuman, and nor am I saying anybody needs to be. But when it happens, it's a call, right? It's God's mercy speaking to my heart saying, Jackie, there's still some stuff here. And then I can say, hey, God, I'm struggling. Help me. Which is what he wanted all along anyway, right? Our brother came up here and read and said it's about relationship. Is that true? Well, if it's about relationship, then you talk to him. And you say, I'm struggling, God, help me. I know that you should be exalted. Because if you're my treasure, I can find joy even in the circumstance, right? But if I become my treasure, or pain-free existence becomes my treasure, or wealth becomes my treasure, or whatever other things that are all good, and they come from God, right? He gives us that to enjoy. If that becomes my treasure, I'll lose my joy when something affects that it's a it's a distinct blessing of god when he allows these things into our life because they should show us how am i doing and then it gives us an opportunity to walk in victory right not defeat it's not defeat that i pray and god doesn't heal me that's not defeat jesus already won the victory the victory is assured When I exalt Christ, I stand in victory. When I exalt Him, when I lift Him up, because the text we look at today says that's what God did. God exalted Him. Why? Because when Jesus asked, if there's any way that this cup should pass from me, if you could heal me or make this all go away, do it. But if not, Your will be done. What did Jesus choose to do? Exalt God in his pain. Right? 
in his suffering, yeah, in in the hard things that he did, yeah. And what did God do? Lifted him above every name that shall be named. That's victory, not defeat. It's victory, not defeat. Let's look at it. Verse 5, we'll start. He says, we have this idea. It's, it's our responsibility, right? If we want to change the way we think, <clears throat> I need to be thinking about Jesus. I, my, my, my mind needs to be focused on Him. Verse 5, having this mind among yourselves, right? So He's calling us to, to a certain way of thinking, right? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours where? In Christ Jesus. Where's our unity? In Christ Jesus. What binds us together? Jesus does. So where do we need to focus our mind? On Jesus. We can focus on all the other things, right? Like I said, thinking about, think about myself less, think about myself less. Or I can say, I'm going to think about Jesus. I'm going to think about Jesus. I want to focus on Him. I want to see Him. Paul would say, not that I have already attained or am already perfected. But this one thing I do, forgetting the things which lie behind me, I press on. Put my eyes on Jesus and I keep moving forward. It's not about failure. <clears throat> Look, and, and according to the psalmist, we're all dirt clods. Right? God said, I know your frame, your dust. We don't expect a lot from a dirt clod. I'm not sure that God expects a lot either. But what he, what he is looking for, I think, is us to recognize that if we'll simply change our mind and exalt Christ, then God will change the way we feel. He'll change our heart. You exalt me. You exalt me. Lift him up. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So our minds need to be focused on Jesus. Think about the things that Jesus Christ has done for us. If you don't, if you can't think of a way to exalt Christ, maybe you don't know what he did. Maybe you don't know yourself. Right? Jesus calls us to know him. He left the glory of heaven, which we have never even seen. But when Paul saw it, he said, I can't even tell you about it. There's not words that would describe it. I can't, I can't explain it. He says it would be unlawful for me to tell you, which is a way of saying, I, I, it's beyond language. He let the glory of heaven, something we've never seen or experienced, to become weak, a man, to become like us. The Bible tells us, it gives us this challenge, right? To be clothed in Christ, right? To like put him on, like an outer garment. Well, that's what the scripture is going to describe when Jesus becomes a man. He clothes himself in humanity. He clothes himself. He, he put on our weakness. He put on our poverty. He put on <coughs> our need and walked with us. And then the scripture says that he endured the cross, despising the shame, but for the joy set before him. What was his treasure? You are his inheritance. Your relationship, your love is what he longs for. He longs for you. These thoughts, they lead us toward a joy in Christ. Because we can rejoice in what He's done for us. My joy is in Him. My unity is in Him. 
And I want His mind to be mine. Isn't He our example? Till we grow up to the fullness, to the measure of the perfect man, Christ Jesus? We want to, we want to equal Him, the way we live, the way we walk. So we have this idea that the concern is with a divine selflessness. It wasn't He exalted Himself, right? But what did He do? He condescended. He descended into humanity. He came down. He humbled Himself. This is the, this is the example that we're giving. God is not about acquiring things. What does God need? He has it all. It's not about grasping or seizing or conquering. God is all about self-giving for the sake of others. That is what Jesus did. He humbled Himself. Scripture describes it this way. It says in verse 6, Who, though He was in the form of God, that word form is the word morphe. The word morphe, there's, there's two different words used for form here in the Greek. Morphe deals with uh, the exact representation of what is on the inside on the outside. What is on the inside comes the outside. Morphe. You've heard another Greek word before. Metamorphe. Metamorphe is when there's a chain so that what's on the inside can become what's on the outside. You think of an animal that does that? A bug? A little caterpillar, right? Goes into a cocoon. Metamorphosis takes place. And what he is in his DNA becomes what he is on the outside, right? He becomes a butterfly. He becomes what he was at birth. He was always a butterfly. That's what's on the inside. Metamorphosis is that change. What's on the inside can come out. Morphe just means what's on the inside is on the outside. Meaning he is in the form God. He is, he is the perfect representation of God. His DNA is divine. His DNA is God. It says now, who, though he was the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Meaning he, he didn't parade his divinity. He didn't come and demand to be born in the palace as king of kings and lord of lords. He didn't come with a demand for worship. He didn't come for any demand at all. He didn't hold on to his rights as God. Scripture declares he's going to empty himself. I want you to listen to that. Nobody emptied him. What did he do? He emptied himself. He emptied himself. It was his own desire. No one did it to him. He chose it. He became poor. <coughs> he became like me. The weakness. I don't know what it's like to be all-powerful. Anybody else? But there's a few times I'd like to have it. You ever want to just, just give me a moment of, of all power? All oh, the power in the universe. Somebody cuts you off. Oh. All the power. Every once in a while I think, man, it'd be cool. 
to have all that power. He became poor. He became weak for me. That's pretty incredible. A pretty incredible picture of humility. 2 Corinthians 8.9. Listen to what it says. 2 Corinthians 8.9 says, For you know the grace, that's an unmerited favor, something we didn't earn or deserve, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor. Though He was rich, He became poor, so that you, by or through His poverty might become rich. What's he talking about? That Jesus was clothed in me so that one day I could be clothed in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, that he made him who knew no sin become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. He became poor so that I could become rich. So that I could be clothed in him. He became clothed in humanity so that I could be clothed in Christ, His righteousness. So I could put on Him. So I could be clothed in Christ. Now how is this? how does this occur? How does the emptiness occur? Well there's, uh, I'll be happy to let you use any of my 10,000 volumes of theology to study on the, what's called the hypostatic union. The hypostatic union describes it as this. That Jesus is the only uh, being in the universe with two natures. He is in nature God and he is in nature man. He added humanity. For me, the best way to kind of grapple with it is that he put on the cloak of humanity. He's clothed in flesh. And and the reason why I think that's the best way is is because we still have to understand that this this descent this this not condensation that's water on a glass right <laughs> what's the other word say it again don't be shy man somebody throw the guy a life raft don't just leave him burning up here <laughs> man if I was on to, to the millionaire show, I'm not lifelining any of you guys. Huh? Con- okay, we'll go with that. So as he's, he's coming down, okay, this descent, he still retains divinity. How is that possible? Because the Bible says so. I mean, that's my ultimate argument, and the Bible's my final authority. Colossians 2.9 For in him, that's in Christ... The whole fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So, so I just want, this is how I picture it, okay? Sometimes, sometimes it helps me. But the way I picture it is you have, like, if you picture the divinity of Christ as, as the brightest light you can imagine. And then you take that bright light and you clothe it with flesh. You, you bring humanity over it. And it diminishes in some way the brightness of the light. And it was by his free choosing to add humanity to himself. Now why do I use this picture that it's like a being clothed in humanity or veiled in humanity? Because in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus does something for us. 
He takes his inner three, his disciples, his inner core, his biggest problem children. You didn't know that's what the inner group was always? Keep your enemies where? Close. Yeah, I hope. These guys would be in trouble if he let them out. So he had to keep them on a short leash. So he brings um, <coughs> Peter, James, and John. They go to what we know as a Mount of Transfiguration. Are you with me? Now let's read about it. Matthew 17, verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, <coughs> led him up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, his clothes as white as light. And behold, there appeared to him Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said, Lord, it's good we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents, one for you and Moses and Elijah. And he was still speaking. And behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. That's like, shut up and listen. Right? God said, Peter, shh. Listen. Listen. What did Jesus do on that day? It's like he went up to the Mount of Transfiguration and he parted the veil. He opened up for a moment the veil of his flesh and let the deity shine out. Right? And it shines out like the brightness of the sun and all its glory. And it's described just like the Old Testament descriptions of, of the, uh, uh, what are theophanies, the appearances of God, as the Shekinah. The Shekinah, the Shekinah glory of God is a bright light. So bright, no one can see. The Kavod, Kavod is the weight of God. Sometimes it was a cloud, the Kavod, the weight of God that pushed people out of the temple. Sometimes it was the Shekinah, the brightness that caused, each does the same thing. You get in bright light, what do you do? Close your eyes, bow your head. You get a heaviness on top of you, what do you do? Bow down. That's what the glory of God does. And here you have the glory of God shining through the sun, right? Shining through Him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Hey, rise, have no fear. Rise, have no fear. Now He's clothed in the humanity again, right? You get what I'm saying? Through the addition of the humanity, it it covers some of the divine. You, You don't see it. You don't see it as well. And we'll see that in the text if we take a look at it. But it's, it's a, it not only is this emptying of himself, this beautiful picture of humility, but it's also a powerful display of, of being a servant. Because the next phrase, look what he says, by taking the form of a servant. Now that's the word morphe. So listen to what that means. In the same way that Jesus' DNA is God, his DNA is also doulos. The slave, the servant. He is, God is a servant. That's in his DNA. That's his inner, the inner picture and the outward picture are equal. Morphe, when he comes as a servant. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save those who are lost. Isaiah 53 describes him as the suffering servant. The doulos, that is the nature of God. That is His nature, to take on 
Just as he is God, he is also servant. He is by nature servant. And being born in the likeness of men. Now we have a change of condition. Now this again uses another word that can be used for form, schema. Schema means that which can be seen with the five senses. Seen, felt, touched, or heard. It doesn't necessarily mean the inner is the same as the outer, but that it is what you can see in the appearance. He is, looks like, he is in the likeness of man. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Now what's that talking about? Well, John's talking. Wasn't he on the mountain? Peter, James, John. We've seen His glory. The glory as of the only Son from the Father, <coughs> full of grace and truth. He parted the veil. We saw the divinity shine through. We saw His glory. We saw His majesty. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, Jesus not only is this incredible picture of humility, He's also an incredible picture of submission. He's submitted to the Father. Eternally, the Bible describes God as eternally existent, existing in three distinct persons. Father, Son, Spirit. Only being anywhere. That being is called Yahweh. Yahweh eternally existent in three persons. The second person is submitted to the first. Not less in being. Equal in being, but submitted in will. Is it interesting to you then that God would say in Genesis chapter 2, He would use the same word about the very first husband and wife. And He would say, The two shall become one Flesh, Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Echad. God is one. But the second person submitted to the first. The picture, why is marriage under attack? Do you really think it's just random? Do you not understand that marriage is the biblical picture of the unity of God? And when marriage is attacked, it attacks the picture of the unity of God. Husband and wife together forever. That the wheels fall off and beyond. That is a picture. It's a picture scripture lays out for us. We see this incredible attitude when he doesn't cling to his... uh, Deity, the right to be able to show that deity to whoever. And this is how he experiences humility. This is how. It says, and being found in human form. 
Okay, being found in human form, that's the schema. Being found in human form, something that can be seen by the five senses. He humbled himself. To what extent? To the cross. He humbled himself being obedient to the point of death. Obedient to the Father. The extent of his obedience was submitting to death. Jesus said, no one takes my life, what? I give it. If he doesn't say from the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, trust me, nobody was going to kill him. Do what you want. You can't take his life. He could only give it. He endured the cross, despising the shame. Why would he despise the shame? Because he's God clothed in flesh. And he's looking at insignificant ants and they're spitting on him and cursing at him and whipping him and beating him. And with one thought in his mind, they could cease to exist. Can you even relate to that kind of shame? That kind of humility? This is how our example humbled himself. So from the cross he said, Father, into your hands, what? I commit my spirit. I submit to death for you, Father. Not less humbled and submitted one in being. So what happened as a result? As a result, Jesus humbles himself all the way to the point of death, even the death of the cross. The result is the next part of the verse. What is the result? So he is preeminent. What does it say? Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him, this is an interesting phrase, the name which is above what? How many names? Does that include Yahweh? Or is that considered a name? Jesus Christ humbled himself all the way to the point of death, and God did what? Lifted him up. Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. He is lifted up in the cross. He's exalted at the cross. He submits to the Father and is buried. And in three days, you and I know that God exalted him because what happened? You can't kill life. Life always comes back. I was walking in the jungle and I saw this incredible picture of that idea. There was a hurricane came through the jungle in Belize several years ago, blew over a number of trees. And it blew over this tree and it fell down and it broke in several pieces. And you see it laying there across the ground. And each piece has another tree growing in it. As you can, life don't stop. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and can't kill life. 
You can put him in the ground. He can submit his spirit to the Father. Sure. But he's not standing there. Because he is life. That's why he calls us to reject the culture of death that's all around us today. And cling to the culture of life. He is preeminent. God has lifted him above every name that is named. His supremacy is over all. He has highly exalted him. He has super exalted him. There's no place to lift him up and exalt him more. He is at the end. There's no place higher. There's no place higher to lift the name of Jesus. He has been exalted. Now the Bible says that he was in Hebrews a little lower than the angels. A little lower than the angels because he was clothed in flesh. But now he is exalted high above. Far he humbled himself. And if I humble myself, it says God will lift you up. Now, bring that back to our suffering, our sickness, our struggles in life. If I'll change the way I think and exalt Christ and I'll lift Him up and I'll make it about Him and not about me, what does God promise to do? He says, I will lift, you humble yourself and I will lift you up. Look, more than anything, I just need strength for the journey. I need what I need the grace from God to take the next step, to do the next thing, to be the next to the next opportunity, whatever it is. And everything we go through in life, does God ever say, I'll forsake you, I'm not going there with you? No, he says, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what? You are with me. What if I get thrown into the fiery furnace? What's it say? Yeah, oh, how many guys we throw in there? Three? There's Four. One of them looks like the Son of God. Oh, why? Because when I'm in the fire, look, he, don't, he, don't, he does not leave us or forsake us. Not in your sickness, not in your cancer, not in your struggle, not in your pain. He never leaves. And if you will exalt him, he'll lift you up. Strength for the journey. Is he the treasure? Is he the thing that we value in life? Or is it me? Is it him or is it me? Only one thing can be preeminent, most important, right? Only one thing can be our chief end, our ultimate purpose. What is my ultimate purpose? The scripture says Jesus is exalted. He's supreme over all. It says that, it says that uh, even creation is submitted to him. What do I mean? So that every knee, all knees, everything with a knee is going to bow down, right? And everything with a tongue is going to confess. That's all creation, all created things. Everything with a knee, everything with a tongue, they're all going to proclaim that Jesus is Kyrios, Lord, King. They will all bow. Everyone will bow. Every tongue will confess. He will be praised. He's preeminent 
And He will be praised. And then we see the, the, the purpose for it all. Every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. What is the chief end? What is the ultimate purpose? It's in verse, the last part of verse 11. To the glory of God the Father. The Bible says that at the end of it all, battle of Armageddon, eschatology is over, all the struggles, new heaven, new earth. Jesus is going to take all of redemption and he's going to take it to the Father and he's going to bow the knee and he's going to give it to him for his glory. What is our chief end? To glorify God by enjoying Him forever. That's our chief purpose. Change your mind. It'll help you have humility by exalting Christ. It'll help you walk in strength, even in our struggles and our pains and our things we don't understand. Why? 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 I just think back to Job. And Job looked over at his wife. His wife said, man, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you, Job? Why don't you just curse God and die? What's wrong with you? And Job said, I have received good from the hand of the Lord. Shall I not also receive bad? Because who's in charge? Who's, who's the chief end? Is it me? Or is it God? And even though Job doesn't understand, and he struggles, right? And he tries to explain to his friends, look, I didn't sin, and his friend said, you must have, because bad things only happen to bad people, right? Isn't that the rule? But that, that, that wasn't what happened. That wasn't the truth. In fact, God says to his friends, hey, you guys got it wrong. Job got it right. And if he don't pray for you, you're in trouble. So Job prayed for his friends. We understand it's not all about us. Change the way you think. God will change the way you feel. And you can then, like Paul, in the midst of what looks like defeat to the world, say, I'm walking in victory, man. Because it's all about Jesus. It's not all about me. So my back's going to hurt. Well, welcome to the human family, right? Anybody here who has no pain? Celebrate. You're probably 15. It's going to get worse. (laughs) But when it does, it's all good. It's all good because it's not about me. It's about... And sometimes it's for me to remind me. And sometimes it's somebody watching. I don't even know. But I trust God no matter what. And I'll change my mind and exalt Him. And He will lift me up. Amen? Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. As we, uh, as we, I'm going to pray in just a second. As we close out, I just want to let you guys know, as we close out in worship, we have an opportunity up front for people to receive prayer. So if you need prayer, don't be shy. There's people up here who want to pray with you, want to encourage you, want to be there for you. So that's why they're here, and, and we want to extend that invitation to you. Let's go before the Lord. Father God, we thank you. For this time we have to study your word. Lord, I pray, God, that your word does what Isaiah 55 promised. That it goes forward. It carries with it the seed. God, that you would plant that seed within us, God. And that seed would bring us uh, to change. 
change the way we think. God, may we choose to exalt Christ, to lift Him up. Just as God the Father did for He walked in humility. He walked in humility. He despised the shame, but He endured the cross. He took my brokenness, my sin, and I am a sinner. I am wicked. But He took my wickedness upon His back. He bore what I could not. He clothed Himself in my sin and weakness so I could be clothed in His righteousness and power. So God, the path to exaltation is through humility. God, the path to understanding our struggles is through the exaltation of Christ. Lord, I I want to exalt you in my suffering. I want to exalt you in my sickness. I want to exalt you in pain. I want to exalt you in my pleasure. I want to exalt you in my health. I want to exalt you in my wealth. I want to exalt you in all things. Because when I do that, I am walking in humility. May I keep my eyes on the prize. So that with Paul, I can say, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain because I get to be with him. And if I struggle with that, it's okay. If I struggle with that, all the Word calls me to do is to call upon Him and ask for help. Oh, you ask your Father for help. If you ask Him for bread, is He going to give you a stone? If you ask Him for fish, will He give you a scorpion? No. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children so will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to him who asks. And the Holy Spirit, he equips us to do what God commands us. Lord, I just pray that you would help us. If there's anybody here today struggling with that very thing, that they would come up and receive prayer and encouragement, that they would be found able. God, we thank you that we can come together and worship and we thank you for for what a blessing that is and we just pray as we go from this place lord that you would equip us to be who you call us to be and that we give all the praise and bring all the glory to you for you are worthy in jesus name amen